0: Hey everyone, this is part two of our Christmas special, looking at the history of the traditional Christmas dinner. So if you didn't listen to part one, I recommend you go back and listen to that first because otherwise this isn't necessarily going to make quite as much sense. Welcome to The Dish, the culinary travel podcast focusing on the stories behind world-famous foods.
1: We are your hosts, Tom and Megzi from foodfuntravel.com. Join us for tasty histories, destination food guides, and more. In part two of our Christmas dinner podcast, we talk about where mince pies, stuffing and the plum pudding comes from, and some weird Christmas dinner facts from around the world.
0: Plus, the worst Christmas dish ever, Brussels sprouts. (laughs) Hey everyone! Welcome to part two of our Christmas dinner, Christmas special episodes.
1: Yes. uh, If you haven't had a chance to listen to episode one, we do highly recommend you go back and take a listen because otherwise this is going to make no sense at all.
0: It probably makes some sense because we're looking individually at the history of some certain dishes. But the first one, we're actually looking at the origin of Christmas dinner and how turkey got into it so i think it makes a lot more sense if you go back and do that but yeah we're going to drop straight into this next episode so it, it's just it goes straight in because we recorded it all at once and we've broken it up into two sections for you just to make it a little bit more digestible because everyone needs to digest better at christmas yeah, just don't some
1: they? manageable bites for you
0: yes exactly so let's jump straight in with our first christmas dish
1: I actually, um, to do this, I looked up the traditional British Christmas dinner to see exactly what things were involved in, because I know what you like on the table, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that is what qualifies as the classic British. Well, yes. So, of course, that brings us to Brussels sprouts.
0: Oh, No. <laughs> no one ever needs to be brought to Brussels sprouts, and Brussels sprouts never need to be brought to people, ever. Like, this shouldn't happen.
1: I knew you would have they something to say. They should leave them
0: in the ground, or, <laughs> or the stalks that they grow on.
1: There's actually evidence to suggest that Brussels sprouts have been grown in some parts of Europe since the Middle Ages. Oh, no. Yeah, they've been around for a really long time.
0: People who are hungry will eat anything, I guess. And I guess that's where the tradition came from. Even
1: some debate to say that uh, they didn't even come from
0: Brussels. Yeah, I actually assumed that they just didn't come from Brussels and that was made up. But then yeah. I assumed that turkeys weren't named after turkey and apparently they are. So,
1: Well the Turkish merchants, yeah. <laughs> who knows? Yeah, so there is some evidence to suggest that they were actually being cultivated elsewhere, but they were just referred to as little cabbages.
0: Yeah. Well, they are like little cabbages. You take all of the bad taste of cabbage and condense it into one horrible ball of yuck. And that (laughs) is a Brussels sprout. So, yeah, I mean, like big cabbages are fine because you're diluting the taste away. And so then it tastes fine. But yeah, once you condense it into one little ball, it's awful.
1: Yes. Why are they doing that? They did, of course, become uh, exceptionally... Popular from in Brussels, and therefore we do have Brussels sprouts. Of course, everyone does actually pronounce it incorrectly. It is Brussels sprouts. It's uh, not Brussels sprouts.
0: I have actually heard that before, but I still didn't take any notice I went, nope, nope, don't nope, care. I refuse to accept this. Brussels sprouts, not Brussels sprouts. (laughs) Brussels sprouts. Uh,
1: But they actually became popular in Britain around about the 19th century. Too soon, you ask me. (laughs) I've actually got written here. If you ask Tomo, they should have stayed in the Middle Ages.
0: Yes, yes. We never needed to carry (laughs) these ones forward.
1: No. So, love them or hate them. They mostly found their way onto the Christmas dinner table because sprout season is slap bang in the middle of Christmas. Uh, that's when they are at their finest. Oh, also, it's nature's fault it's that
0: nature's they exist. It's nature's fault.
1: You can blame ruining my Christmas, Mother Nature. Ugh. <laughs> and of course, uh, the modern roast dinner sort of came about sort of Dickens' time, as I as I mentioned before, and was um, about the same time as sprouts were first introduced to Britain on a large scale. Oh God, so it's such
0: terrible timing,
1: <laughs> and now you're stuck with it.
0: Ugh. Yeah, apparently.
1: Absolutely stuck with it. So, yeah, those are a couple of things that are probably traditionally found on the Christmas table that you see today that you didn't see in the olden times. A few things that have been around for quite a while.
0: Turkey and sprouts, eh? And cranberry sauce.
1: Yeah, so they're they're the new additions. They're the new kids on the block. Yeah. Of course, we do have the good old English mince pies.
0: Yeah, just mince meat pies or sweet mince pies?
1: Uh, Sweet mince pies.
0: Ah, dessert pies.
1: Yes. So, actually, the mince pies can be traced back to the 12th century and the return of the European Crusaders from the Holy Land, apparently. So, a few guys came back and they have their newly learned Middle Eastern methods of cooking, which then combined meats, fruits, and spices, and that became very popular at the time. By the late 14th century, a recipe for a kind of mince pie had already made its way into one of the oldest known English cookbooks. So it's been around for a very long time. Old recipe. And then by the Victorian era, the meat of mince meat began to be dropped from the dishes, making them into the fruit pies that you are familiar with today.
0: I guess they keep a little bit longer if they don't have meat in them, and they're probably cheaper to make as well. Exactly. That's a double whammy.
1: But yeah, so so there you go.
0: So the original mince pie had meat in it. It actually did
1: have meat in it. Yeah, that's
0: why. But I, I think they still, traditionally, they can have suet in, which is meat fat. The little white bits you sometimes see in mince before you cook it, and then that will dissolve into the dish yeah. when it's cooked. So they do actually have some sort of meat product in them. Although I think they probably make it with vegetable suet now.
1: Probably, yeah. Because make that it... will
0: also keep better and it's vegetarian.
1: But I have to say, I was quite confused when I first tried a British mince pie and discovered that it was full of fruit. <laughs> I was yes. like, what is this? What is this? This is crazy.
0: Yes.
1: But yeah, it did originally contain meat. Of course, your favorite as you mentioned the old fruit pudding, plum pudding My on the table. My non-favorite, You love. Brussels sprouts
0: equivalent of not interested.
1: <laughs> so, some say that the plum pudding dates to the early 15th century when plum pottage, it was a savory concoction heavy on the meat and root vegetables. <laughs> Was it was served in the start of a meal. So I don't I don't understand this. This is where they say that it started from. Yeah. Plum in the plum pottage or plum pudding is just a generic term pretty much for any sort of dried fruits and stuff that they had in the days. So yeah. For some reason, they seem to think it came from this plum pottage that was a savory thing that was quite meat heavy. And then they started to, rather than use the meats and the root vegetables, it started to be incorporating more dried fruits and raisins and currants and prunes.
0: Well, it sounds like the same sort of story as the mince pies, really. Exactly. Meat and fruit together was a classic combo. And then they eventually started making it more of a... A non-meat dessert.
1: Mm. So then, but it was still sort of a, a bit more of a savoury dish up until about the end of the 16th century where dried fruits became more plentiful in England. So they, yes, yeah, started to move more towards the fruit side of things and started to make it just more of a, a sweet dish. But there is actually a popular myth that the plum pudding uh, has a strong association with Christmas that goes all the way back to medieval England where there was a particular type of pudding that was made with 13 ingredients to represent Jesus and all of his disciples. And that they incorporated the family into the making of this particular dish by getting every member of the family to take turns to stir the pudding with a wooden spoon and they had to stir it from east to west in honor of the wise men.
0: This is strange because I, we used to have this tradition at home when I was growing up that everyone would stir the pudding. Yeah, that's I don't where it know comes if it's from. from this, and we definitely didn't obey the east to west thing, but it was just sort of like it seemed more like it was just part of being in the family and doing family stuff. I didn't realise that there was any actual tradition, and I wasn't told about it being a tradition. no, I, don't know I think it it's just been incorporated
1: well, it could be a coincidence or it could be something that's just been passed down for so yeah, long. And no one
0: knew that it was actually originally. A specific ritual. It just
1: became a Christmas tradition and it's what you do. It's the family tradition but actually uh, yeah it very much was set in the celebrating of, of Christmas and to I, represent Jesus and his disciples in the in the pudding.
0: I really just assumed it was because mum didn't want to do all the stirring and she outsourced <laughs> it to the kids. Well like, there's that too. I figured that was the main reason but yeah, who knows. Maybe well was it was some mum and-
1: in medieval England that was, yeah, that was, was sick <laughs> to death of stirring. It's
0: like you kids can do some stirring because Jesus says so. Let
1: me tell you a story about Jesus and his disciples. Well, you stir. Yeah. Mom's going to sit and I'll tell <laughs> had a you the lot of story. lot kids in those
0: days, so it'd be pretty easy. That's true. There only two kids in my family, so, you know, we had to do a lot of work. But, yeah, with like 12 children or something. Yeah. It pretty easy to get them all to give it a stir.
1: But uh, there is actually no official recipes of plum puddings, really, until the 17th century. So, this is all just in the
0: folklore. And, of course, figgy pudding, I'm guessing, made with figs. It just depends whatever dried fruit you had.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Oh, figgy pudding. Uh stuffing. We haven't spoken about
0: stuffing. Uh, stuffing. That seems like something that would have been around for a long time, just related to putting it inside of birds.
1: Exactly. The earliest uh evidence is from a Roman cookbook. Oh, I don't actually have the date of it. Is it from Apicus? Yes.
0: First century AD.
1: Apicus. It's
0: like the famous Roman cookbook.
1: Yes, that's where it's fra- found, and it contains recipes for stuffed chicken, dormouse hare, <laughs> <pear, laughs> and pig. Mm.
0: Dormouse? Stuffed Dormouse? That's what it says. Or are they stuffing a Dormouse in a chicken?
1: No, they were the things that were being stuffed because they were mostly stuffed with uh, vegetables, herbs and spices, nuts and spelt. But apparently back in the day, it did frequently contain chopped liver, brains and other organ meat.
0: Yeah, because actually meat stuffing, stuffings made with meat are also quite traditional. Mm. So, yeah, and you can just stuff meat inside meat. Why not? It's carnivore's dream.
1: Yeah, so stuffing... Carnivore Christmas. Carnivore Christmas, indeed. Leave your vegetarian cousin at the door.
0: Yeah. All
1: right, and then, of course, we do have the very British thing. That is the Yorkshire pudding.
0: You see, we don't have that at Christmas.
1: Ah, see, this was listed as a thing that was definitely...
0: Now, you see, I think this is a regional tradition. Very possibly. I've listened to other people talking about Christmas dinner. I can't remember who it was now, but it was on... Uh, it was on Off Menu with uh, Ed Gamble and James Acaster. Oh! And one of the dudes on there, I can't remember who it was, maybe it was Richard Osman, he was talking about Christmas dinner being his favourite dish. And he was saying they have beef and turkey. And of course, if you have beef, you have Yorkshire pudding. Yeah. So yes. maybe it's like, if you're from the North and you have beef as part of Christmas, then you're going to have Yorkshire pudding. But we never, ever, ever have beef as part of Christmas. We have ham or turkey or goose. Yeah,
1: so it's a northern a thing, which would make, make sense. That's where it's from. That's where it's from.
0: Well, it could be. I don't know. That's just my guess.
1: Yeah. Uh, the first recorded Yorkshire pudding recipe appears in a book called The Whole Duty of a Woman. Thanks.
0: And for those who don't know what a Yorkshire pudding is, just in case, I don't know how popular it is in the US, but I mean, it's basically just batter. It's, it's almost like pancake batter but you put it in the oven to bake and you throw it in lots of very hot oil in little individual containers ah, in the oven. And then when it hits the oil, it's, so the air just goes straight into it and it puffs up. That is so it's how like it's a-
1: made today. but oh. in.
0: The old ones would have been a bit denser, I guess. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: Uh, so yeah, originally in a book, uh, The Whole Duty of a Woman from 1737, so quite old. And it was listed as a... Did you say
0: the book's called The Whole Duty of a Woman? Yes. Oh, this, I guess 1730 was not the most... Uh, Feminist sex- forward yeah. time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm pretty sure there was a, a whole list of chores that a, a good woman should adhere to every day. Plus cooking and taking care of those unsightly
0: children. As long as they stir everything, then yeah. you know, got them doing uh, the work.
1: But actually, back then, it was listed as a dripping pudding. And cooks and women in the north of England devised a means of making use of the fat that dropped into the dripping pan. So, uh, while they were cooking the roast meat above, the fat they would put this batter yep. in the bottom of the pan. And, well, as you mentioned, the oil, but the oil was the, actually the fat coming... Yep from the roast meat and that's where they got it. That's where the Yorkshire pudding
0: originated from. Well, I mean, I would say even today if you're going to make a really good Yorkshire pudding using fat from the beef is going to be better. But it's just that who got time for that? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's, And getting that much meat, you have that much fat to cook enough Yorkshire pudding. You have to have a lot of meat and a lot of fatty meat.
1: Yeah. So generally, this was uh, something made more by cooks. Uh, yeah,
0: for a household, not just at home.
1: Yes, and <laughs> or even yeah. Apparently, the Yorkshire pudding was served often as a first course with a thick gravy to tell to dull the appetite with a low cost ingredient, so that uh, other diners would not eat so much of the more expensive meat in the next courses. <laughs> so, if you if you happen to be the cook of a very uh, wealthy but tight. <laughs> <laughs> like, aristocrat. Yes. They'd be like, give them the, give them the Yorkshire pudding yes, first. Let's get the
0: guests fed up so they won't eat all the beef.
1: Exactly. And then I'll have more for myself. But yes, I could go on about British Christmas dinner favourites, but I think I've hit quite a few of the major ones on the head. And uh, now you kind of know an interesting sort of story of, of today's Christmas dinner and how it all, where it all came
0: from. There are some other classics that I uh, definitely haven't covered, like Bread Sauce. It is uh, literally sauce made from bread.
1: I did not see bread sauce on the menu. See,
0: See, it depends who you are and what traditions you have. That's
1: true. But
0: it's obviously just a way to use leftover bread to make some stodge. That'll fill you up, so you're not going to eat the meat.
1: Exactly. It's (laughs) the same trick as the Yorkshire pudding. It's all these tricks so that all the good meat was not going to the guests.
0: And, of course, roast parsnips. Well... I mean, they were roasting stuff anyway, so I'm assuming... It's just a
1: roast veg, It's a roast
0: veg, and parsnips are a winter vegetable in the UK, so that's Mm -hmm. why you're getting them November, December time. They're ready to go, and you roast them up. I know some people have roast carrots as well, but I never had roast carrots for Christmas dinner. That was never a thing.
1: Oh, I think we used to have roast carrots.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people do, but no, we had parsnips. bit of like
1: honey drizzled over the top? Yeah. Yeah, I know that's sort of like that.
0: caramelized sort of carrots. Some people even put cinnamon on. That's way too much. Yeah. But um, yeah, we had boiled carrots. My dad likes boiling everything. He's he's a boiled vegetable fan for some reason.
1: <laughs> it's the British way.
0: No, it's silly. <laughs> so yeah, just boiled sprouts with boiled carrots.
1: Yes. Yeah. So pretty much, yes, of course, uh, things have, everybody has their own little particular traditions, but it does seem like Charles Dickens' book, Becoming Exceptionally Popular, actually helped spread this sort of idea of, of you know, today's Christmas dinner and that's what we have today as remnants of his book and, you know, on our tables and also in, in the way that we celebrate Christmas as a as a general, you know family gathering sort of event you know whether or not you are religious or not people tend to celebrate in a very similar way i do have a few interesting facts about christmas dinners
0: um so yeah if you want to check out some notes on all of those different things that we just talked about head to foodfundtravel.com slash christmas dinner podcast and that will be there But yeah, let's do some fun fact stuff to sort of round up this episode. All
1: right, some interesting facts. Japanese people traditionally eat KFC for Christmas dinner. What? (laughs) Yeah, it is all thanks to a successful uh, Kentucky for Christmas marketing campaign that happened in 1947.
0: Wow, I didn't even realize there was KFC in
1: 1947.
0: Apparently so. Is this just one of those made-up internet facts?
1: Don't, don't tell me that.
0: Fake news.
1: Oh, it was founded in 1952. Ah, boo. I think it's still, okay.
0: We'll call that a fun fact that's not real. It's a fun fake news. Are you sure it's not KFC as in Korean fried chicken? I mean, it's like the most successful KFC marketing campaign that was done before the company was founded. That's quite impressive.
1: Backwards. It was from
0: 1974. Ah. Nineteen seventy four would make a lot more sense. All
1: right. So yes, it's all thanks to a successful Kentucky for Christmas marketing campaign in nineteen seventy four. It was first aimed at foreigners living in Japan, where they offered a KFC Christmas dinner that contained chicken and wine because it's fancy and it's Christmas dinner.
0: A chicken like in a wine sauce, or just a no glass chicken of and wine. wine,
1: chicken with wine. So yeah. you go to
0: KFC in Japan, and they were giving you a glass of wine on the side.
1: Apparently so. Wow. Well,
0: just fancy. Um, so it was
1: meant to be a meal that sort of resembled food expats and tourists had at home and it was hugely successful with the locals and uh, they started promoting it every year until it actually became strongly associated with the fast food chain and so now Japanese people go to KFC for Christmas dinner.
0: That is very strange.
1: Candy canes were invented to shut kids up in church. <laughs> Uh, legend has it that candy canes were invented in 1670 where a a choir master of the Cologne Cathedral commissioned uh, candies shaped like a shepherd's crook so that they could be handed out to the children attending his service and uh, to keep them quiet (laughs) and the stripes were brought in later but yeah it was uh, he was like shut them up please and that's how they invented candy canes back to the turkeys How many turkeys do you think would be consumed in the UK um, at Christmas time?
0: Just specifically at Christmas, um, let's say 20 million. That's a lot, isn't it? 10 million.
1: 10 million is correct. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, You get 10 million turkeys consumed in the UK, 22 million in the United States.
0: It's a much bigger country.
1: It's a much bigger country, a lot more people, a lot of people yes. loving Turkey. But
0: it's six times more population-ish, five or six times more population, but only twice as many turkeys. So they're obviously eating a lot of ham.
1: Yes. Yeah, definitely. Or, or other things. Other things, yeah. yeah. And then the next after that is about 2.4 million for Canada. Quite a difference. Yeah. But you will all be very pleased to hear this, and it won't make you squirm at all, to hear that it is estimated that the average Brit consumes about, oh, they say it could be close to 3,000 calories on Christmas Day.
0: Nah, I eat more than that.
1: Oh, it's nothing. It's like three to 5,000 calories. Three to
0: 5,000, yeah. Because 3,000 is only just a little bit more than I'm supposed to eat on a regular day. Oh,
1: no, with Christmas dinner alone. Sorry, oh, just, did I say Christmas Day? Yes, Christmas
0: dinner alone. Just that one meal.
1: Yeah. So, with drinks, nibbles, starters, roast turkey dinner with the lot, copious amounts of alcohol, followed by dessert, maybe a cheese board... What else? What other things are people throwing in there on Christmas just because they can? And you like well, stuff it. It's Christmas.
0: We have cheesecake on Christmas Day.
1: Yeah, that's good. My mum always buys like a packet of it's called favourites chocolates. It's just like a, a like a chocolate mix like of all the favourites, you know, yeah. Twix and Milky Way and Mars and all that sort of stuff. So, she always has a couple of boxes of them out and they are very hard to resist on Christmas Day because everyone everyone goes, ah, Stafford, it's Christmas.
0: Well, we have Terry's Chocolate Orange, which only English people know about and it's amazing. I do like Terry's
1: Chocolate Orange.
0: Yeah. And we used to have After Eights, which are like a, a wafer thin mint, wafer thin mint. and They're quite tasty if you like a little mint chocolate after your- After your dinner?
1: Anything particularly weird that you think is, that you found on your Christmas?
0: Brussels sprouts.
1: No, but like, that's a common thing. Like, is there anything that your family used to do that was quite weird?
0: Weird things. I mean, I don't know how do you judge weird things when it's something you were brought up doing. Well,
1: now that you've had Christmas in other countries with other people, is there anything that you were like, oh, you guys don't do that? Oh, yeah, I guess it is a little odd.
0: Well, I just found it strange that Australians eat salad on Christmas. Well, it's hot. No, I know it's hot, but I'm like, it's still strange. still Christmas food. We will have a
1: salad. We'll probably have a roast chicken. Turkey has kind of become more popular in Australia, but still mostly roast chicken or ham. Roast
0: potatoes. Roast
1: potatoes. We might even have, you know, throw some uh, prawns on the barbecue.
0: Yes, that's how it's pronounced properly. (laughs) But maybe prawns on the barbie. Yeah. Definitely not shrimp.
1: Definitely not shrimp. But, uh, yeah, a few of those different things. But, yeah, we will have salad because it's hot. Yeah. Usually we'll have a Christmas lunch and then we'll go for a swim, play some cricket outside where the rest of you
0: are all dark by three o'clock. Watching bad TV that's family friendly. And What's uh, your ultimate Christmas movie? Uh, we never really watched movies on Christmas. There would normally be like some sort of BBC TV show pantomime that would be on I don't think it would be that but it would just be like a BBC episode they always do like specials on Christmas Day and New Year's Day so it would be like Sherlock Holmes special episode I think all those Sherlock Holmes like the good one with Cumberbatch in it they were all released over Christmas and New Year like oh, every so. time they yeah. come out they always release them then so it would be like yeah 8pm on Christmas Day or 8pm on New Year's Day is like a new episode of Sherlock and it's like an hour and a half anyway so it's almost like a movie But yeah, so stuff like that. I mean, obviously, 20 years ago, I was not watching the new series of Sherlock, but it would have been (laughs) something along those lines. That was relevant. Yeah, whatever was interesting on the BBC, or there'll be some sort of like musical entertainment uh, concerts and things. Yes, I'm sure we had a strange upbringing that wasn't as Americanized as in Australia. Well, I so, don't know. We
1: were we were always outside till late. We yeah, there wasn't. We yeah. didn't watch Christmas movies because we, we were outside. You know, we don't need to be inside.
0: No, we had to watch. Uh, I had to. I was forced to watch TV because <laughs> it was freezing outside and there was nothing else to do. So yeah, if you weren't playing with presents, or we play a board game because I'm apparently I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> that, like thirty years ago, we'd be playing a board game. Because yeah, I don't think my dad knows how to use a tablet yet or a smartphone. So, not surprisingly, we would uh, we'd still play a board game. I think last time we spent Christmas with my parents, we ended up playing a board game. We
1: did, and I won, won. and your father was rather
0: unimpressed. Very angry the first time you played the game (laughs) that you won. They'd been playing it for thirty-five years, and you won it.
1: (laughs) And I'll never play again because I will lord that over them forever. Yeah,
0: that's it. No chance for a comeback <laughs> no, from I'll them. I'll never play it again. No replay, that's it now. That's it. You're the winner of the game. It's official. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, well that is a uh, that is all for our Christmas special. Of course, Christmas is very different all around the world, but that's a few uh, pretty solid classics that we threw in there that yeah, find what,
0: out. What weird Christmas things do you guys do? Tweet us at Travel. What is like something we didn't talk about on this episode that's a tradition you've always had in your family or a food that we didn't talk about that's a tradition that uh, you would have every year? Let us know. We'd be interested to know some of these unusual foods. I mean, now that I've celebrated Thanksgiving with a lot of Americans, there's like new dishes that I associate with Festival like festive eating. I don't know if they have them at Christmas though, but I know it, at uh, Thanksgiving they have things like pecan pie, which I love, mm-hmm. and also like stuffing that's basically really coarse rather than ground bread, like chunky bits of bread with bacon and other bits in. And when they make sprouts, they do make them with lots of bacon. I still hate them, but <laughs> I eat the bacon. Uh, and yeah, so yeah, some interesting things. And I have discovered. I don't know if they have that stuff at Christmas, though. No. Or that's just a Thanksgiving thing. Well,
1: let us know. Tweet us at Food Fun Travel. And yeah, tell us what is the quintessential thing that needs to be on your Christmas dinner table. Yeah. Or
0: the weirdest thing. Yes. All right. Well, thanks again for listening to The Dish. Uh, of course, rate and review and subscribe if you haven't subscribed already and you've been enjoying listening to our show. I'm sure you probably already subscribed if you've listened to a couple of episodes. Most people do. Uh, but if you haven't, do it right now. And of course, leave a nice review. Five stars is the only rating. Everything yes. else is is not right. Give it's us, not the right one.
1: Yep. Five stars for Christmas. Yeah. That's what we're asking for. That's it.
0: It's Christmas. Come on. Be nice. Be nice. Don't be a Scrooge. Don't be a one-star <laughs> Scrooge. Be a five-star, I don't know, nice person. <laughs> <laughs> is there,
1: yeah, who's the nice person in that thing? In that Bill
0: thing. Murray. Bill,
1: he's Scrooge. <laughs> he's,
0: no, but in that other show, Very Murray Christmas, isn't he? Like Nicer. I don't know.
1: No, I don't know. I don't know anymore. Maybe you know,
0: he's Bill Murray's more of a three-star Christmas giver. Yeah. To so give you a little bit of something, but he's give not going to give you Give us the, a
1: Mickey Mouse. Mickey, a Mickey Mouse, Mouse 5, five stars. stars. Yeah. yeah.
0: Would he do that? Or, a, a...
1: or Kermit the Frog. No, give us a Kermit the Frog five-star. Oh, yeah. He's definitely
0: a five-star all the way. Definitely. Yeah.
1: Kermit Frog's Christmas Carol. Or the Muppet's Christmas Carol. That's five-stars. Yeah, we're yeah. five-stars. Don't
0: be a Grinch. No. Nah. Be a Kermit. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> And yes, we'll see you in the new year for some more episodes, hopefully two weeks from now, or who knows, they're already out, because that's how podcasts work. We've already learned that already.
1: (laughs) But if you're listening to this in real time, hope you have a very merry Christmas. I hope you eat too much. Remember to wear your stretchy pants, and uh, calories don't count on Christmas.
0: Oh, I wish that was true.
1: If it's true, if you believe it, Tom.
0: I don't think it is. I don't think that that's how calories work. I don't think it's just about believing things. Because otherwise, I would be a lot skinnier.
1: You just don't believe hard enough. You're too cynical in the back of your mind. You have to truly believe.
0: Nope. (laughs) That would never work. All right. Cheers, everybody. See you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to The Dish. Don't forget to subscribe and keep this podcast on the air by giving us a five-star review on your preferred podcast app or channel.
1: Also, come join our foodie community on Facebook in the Food Worth Travelling For Facebook group. Catch you next time.